Yeah, so. But from this current book about placebo, early in the days of understanding placebo, they had this lady who was showing all the signs of being nauseous. She said she was nauseous all the time, and they actually tested her. And she was showing the signs that, you know, her stomach was rejecting something, which is essentially this natural reaction, reverse peristalsis. I don't know why that's always stuck with me since since biology. But you're, you're trying to get something out of you because you're rejecting it. And she showed all that signs, but nothing to warrant that. There was no reason for her to feel nauseous. But she showed the signs of being nauseous. And it was, I guess, chronic all the time. She always felt nauseous. And so as a test of placebo, since this was uh, so psychosomatic, I know I said that already, psychos of the mind, psychosomatic in the body. So something that from the mind influences the body. So he tested this lady. Like I said, all signs that she was showing that she physically was nauseous and he was pretty sure it was coming from her mind. Right? She was making herself think that she was nauseous. So what did he do, this doctor? He gave her a dose of Epicac. It is something you give to someone to make them throw up. Yeah. And do you know what it did? She didn't throw up. No, in fact, within, I think he said, two minutes or 20 minutes, and that doesn't matter. It cured her. Almost instantly. I pretty, yeah, it cured her nauseousness for... Till the next morning. Nausea. Till the next morning. (laughs) Exactly. Wow. And he repeated it again again. to the same results. In fact, it showed that the the somatic response, the physical response, her stomach's response, the same way it would if it were nauseous, that had subsided. So this patient was given something that would make the majority of us Almost immediately violently ill. Yeah, and it was fine for her. And for her, it made her feel less nauseous. That's but cool. further to that, it wasn't like Epicac is almost, if follow me if I'm right here, it's almost an immediate sort of thing. It's meant for you, you consume it, you it all comes out. So the fact that it kept her from being nauseous till the following morning also says a lot, because lo and behold, it's almost the study they said that uh, in some cases, some placebos can last as long as 30 months. Wow. Well, but for this lady, it lasted till the following day. That's all right, because she could just keep taking it. No. No, the lesson is it was all in her head in the first place. Both the illness, the symptoms, the, the medicine itself, her, her mind overcame the natural physical response to something that usually would make you nauseous. So again, her mind, psyche, somatic. But you said she was nauseous after 24 hours. Well, yes, Epicax only only makes you throw up pretty much immediately. So the fact that... So she'd need that medicine. No. What she needs to learn is that's proof... Well, that it's all in her head. It was all in her head, which is what it seems. 80% or more... We can't say 100, there is no 100. 80% is pretty much saying that everything in life is influenced by the placebo effect. And it's very directed because they tested different fake medications. 
So that's why I said the fact that she only felt good for a day likely is due to the fact that the doctor probably her? probably essentially told her this is only going to work for a short period. Put it in her mind. Yes. And if he had told her this will cure your nausea forever and she bought into it, yeah, it would have possibly likely cured her nausea permanently. Yeah. So it's a twofold effect. So this is where the psychology of William James comes in, where he wrote that there's somebody called the sick soul. And this is why I say it should have been called the varieties of human experience, not the varieties of religious experience. Because in it, he says there's the firstborn. Those are people who wake up born uh, knowing, I don't know, just, you know, life is going to be great and they're lucky life is great. They don't have any problems. Then there's people who reach a certain point in their life where, as Hemingway said, everyone is broken sometime, but some of us are stronger in the broken places. So William James called them the second born. So they went through an illness or a, a revela revelatory experience or, like you said yesterday, a loss in the family. For whatever reason, a loss in your community, a loss to your person, arguably, your sense of self, right? But then this third identity, I think there's more, but just we got to dumb it down to a certain degree, right? The sixth soul. And that's, that's what I think we're seeing here, right? It's, this, it's the buy-in and the faith. And we talked about this yesterday, or was it this morning? The doctor said, well, you're darned if you do and you're darned if you don't. If you tell people there's a, a remote chance of side effects to uh, a medication, even if you give them a placebo, there's a portion of them that will have those side effects only because you suggested there may be a possibility. So I, rather than the doctor who says, well, what do we do, right? If, if we don't tell them, then they'll have these side effects and it'll actually have this nocebo effect and it will counteract the beneficial effects because you want to heighten the placebo. I've talked to, about this before. That, yeah. Doctors use the placebo effect to help with uh, depression, anxiety, but in other areas too. They just didn't realize how much of it, uh, how much played a part because they proved it that doctors that don't stare at their computer, they actually look at people, those people do better. Mm -hmm. So the perception, remember how they said it, what is that? Possession is nine-tenths of the law. Well, arguably you could say uh, perception is eight-tenths of healing. Yeah, because you want someone, you usually look at someone in the eyes when they're talking. Well, they care, yeah. But the reason why is that's how we judge whether we're getting good care. Yes, but now we realize when they only get how many minutes per patient. Oh, that's a different story, exactly. They have to do everything, so... you. You probably wouldn't get much eye contact unless they were, like, looking in your throat or whatever. Well, that, <laughs> that, makes, that makes my argument that I think the most important aspect to healing is agency. So you have to feel like you're in charge of your healing. And I think that might work. I mean, five minutes is ridiculous, you're right. But even, even still... If you were prepared coming in and they were prepared coming in, which doesn't happen, but just imagine everyone did their homework and they came in and they had a tête-à-tête, -tête, right, from French. It's a head-to-head. -head. So that the meeting of minds is a better translation. This idea of you'd both, 
this awesome quote that I steal from Cheers. And it was Norm. He had this flair for interior design. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And so he was uh, having a hard time um, getting business because he didn't fit the mold of what people yeah. expected. Yes. Interior exactly. So he came up with this. And I think this is so beautiful because it is so true, though. This is what we need people to do. Passion. He said, did I tell you that I programmed myself to dream about your space last night? <laughs> well, arguably, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what narrative theory speaks to. And that's what this idea of placebo. So dream, program yourself to dream about your space. That could be a metaphor for life. That's pretty cool. What is life? I've said this before, Vasubandhu, the famous yoga car. Can you dream? Yes. Well, but not in a negative way. No. In the best possible no. way. Like Hemingway said, it's only noble to be better than your previous self. Hmm. So, I just wanted to add one little tidbit that I've actually even think I've proven with um, a recent anecdotal. So I've, I've fallen for placebo. I used to consider it... Um, pseudoscience, right? I've fallen for a few. I've mentioned them in the past, like bleach bath for my skin uh, problem, uh, um, boron, uh, missing from our soil that might play a part. Uh, but um, so there's this thing in, in trauma and I never really applied logic to it, right? I just accepted it, right? And this is what we've talked about. So there's this belief and I think they call it the PTSD witching hour, this idea that you know, all the traumatized people are, are, it's a significant portion of a shared experience that these traumatized people get up at a certain hour every day, right? Say four o'clock, five o'clock, whatever you want to make the time. But I never put the logic to that. And I'm like, well, when your average awake adult has a hard time adjusting for mountain time, why would I believe that just by the nature of a shared perception of an experience, not the shared experience at all, different people, different places, but they all get up at the same time. Yeah, well, I tested it. It's not true. If you stay up late, you'll get up late. All right, so I don't know if this relates to placebo, but let's talk about um, mindfulness in behavior, uh, learned behavior. Uh, what would you call it? Like... Uh, just reactionary, I call it trauma-informed adaptation. So just like, you know, habits, reactions, as opposed to uh, mindful uh, action, reaction, perception even. So me as a dyslexic, uh, I just recorded the last uh, section uh, as witching hour. Because, you know, I mentioned the PTSD witching hour. Now I asked the wife and she helped me. I said, why do I have a hard time spelling witching or witch? Because I had to think about it. Now, as we're recording, I'm not paying attention. We we're doing a few other things. And as she said, we're thinking, when you're thinking of something else, you're not focusing enough. And now I have criticized uh, John Verveke in the past. Um, that, uh, I'm not sure what he is, a professor of uh, cognitive science, I think he calls himself, or what have you. Uh, he talks about uh, being dysgraphic and uh, he's unable to spell tennis 
properly, and I understand what he means. He says that he forgets uh, one tier two. And I get what he means. And I have criticized uh, because I think the man could learn just by remembering tennis is two ends. Tennis is two ends, right? I mean, if you're trying to find uh, solutions to the meaning crisis, uh, I think you... Um, well, it goes to my theory that I don't believe we have a certain amount of um, uh, mental power. So take two books, putting them together here. One book says um, we run out of energy. Uh, so therefore we run out of mental energy because they've tested giving people glucose and then they have more mental energy. But at the same time, they talk about how, you know, 60% of it is mental, right? Like you just assume that you've run out of physical strength. Well, you apply that to mindfulness, focus, and any ability. I posit, I wonder if we could uh, improve our eyesight by just believing that we can improve it. We could test it. I should look to see if there's been a test. If they've done a fake laser eye test to somebody uh, and if they've come out with better vision. I can almost guarantee that if you take someone with uh, bad uh, eyes, put them in uh, the entire situation, uh, get them to absolutely buy in and believe that you uh, have corrected their eyesight, I guarantee by the factor of 80%, I think that's the number that's going to fit, 80% guarantee, 80% of the people that get it done uh, will see an 80% improvement, right? So we can even say, I think the number is 80, uh, right across all the number of people, the, the average improvement will be 80%. And that's without having had their eyes repaired. Their vision is going to improve by 80% of what they have been told it will improve by. It's been proven by, um, we were talking about this this morning, that uh, they tested it with uh, hip uh, repair. I mean, if they've done it with hip repair, why not with eyes? They, uh, they did the regular repair on one-third of the patients. They did just uh, like a washing out uh, of another third. And then one-third they pretended to do, and they didn't. But after even two years, the people that had the <laughs> placebo treatment were doing as good or maybe better in some ways as the others. So I apply that to the idea of mindfulness, of focus, right? That I think witch, um, like the bewitched, uh, what would you call them? Uh, witch, a Wiccan practitioner, a witch and a war warlock. I think that's a hard word. That's what W-I-T-C-H. For me, I have to seriously think about that because as a dyslexic, I guess you have to be a dysgraphic as well. I can't spell. And I thought which, W, like which one? W-I-C-H, but that's just looking at these letters. And I had to be reminded it's W-H-I-C-H. And I don't take that personally. It just doesn't make me less of a person. And I guess that's probably what I was reacting to with, with uh, the professor uh, who was talking about how he felt less than because he couldn't remember whether tennis had one ends or two. But it makes me understand that, uh, like I said to my wife, the way I remember 
remembering is I had to focus on the differences. Because she just highlight, highlight, highlighted. I like highlight myself. She just highlighted the difference between which and which. Never mind the Earl of Samwich or a Samwich. Isn't that spelled W I C H? Which? Yes, well, I mean, come on. You're not making this easy. <laughs> so for me, W I T C H, I had to remember it was a T. So it's, it sounds like which, 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 but it had a T. But as a result, I had to uh, remember when I was spelling it, does it have a C? Is it a C-H? Is it both? It's kind of funny. I wonder how that mental thing works, but fast forward to the now, it makes me realize that it is a focus thing. I think that technically, if we believed even if we could overcome some of these uh, learning uh, barriers through simple mindfulness, if we believed in it, I think it would work more than 80% of the time. They've already studied it. They found that uh, rather than what the one, uh, I think it was a New Zealand doctor, who thought that some people learn uh, by hearing, some people learn by seeing, some people learn by doing, if you fast forward to today, there's one big study that people need to realize that important to today's education, especially is these kids learn better by doing. So they need to be writing this stuff out. I mean, I don't know. We haven't studied whether these tablets that these kids can write and draw and be creative and tactile, somatic, whatever you want to call it. Without that, we're not going to get there. Yeah, see... I almost forgot what I was talking about, but then by stopping, it made me realize where it was connected and where I was going. So, which, which, which is simply remembering the same critique I gave to that professor, John Verveke, that if you know you can't spell tennis, then just remember tennis has two ends. Right? It's not even as hard as which. Like, I didn't bother to remember that which is W-I-T-C-H. Or I did remember the T, but I didn't remember the C-H. Like, tennis isn't that bad. It's like T-E, two N's, I-S. So it's T-H-I-S with two N's. Weird dyslexic brain. But the connection here is it seems to be directly related to focus. Right? Memory. Not so much like uh, learned routines, which would actually be memory too, didn't it? 